Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again on this Lord's Day for our time of corporate worship. Even though we are forced to gather together in our home, own homes rather than together in the Lord's house, um, but we come together nonetheless for this great reason: the Lord is risen. He is risen to deed, indeed. Our call to worship today comes to us from Leviticus chapters 19 and 20 and 1 Peter 1, where the Lord says to us, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you are our God. And we thank you that you are the God who makes his people holy. You make your people to be fit to be in relationship with you. And Lord, we need that because we are an unholy people. Um, but because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through faith in him and his saving work, being rescued by you, um, you have caused us to be born again to a new hope, to be born again to a new kind of holiness, a holiness which doesn't arise from our own self, but it's a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that you give to your people through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of who you are and because of your great work of salvation for us, we come together today and we worship you and we delight to do so. Meet us in this place, Lord. Show yourself to us, for we want to see you. Amen. Well, indeed, as we just discussed there, um, the Lord is holy and we are not. Um, we are corrupted by sin and uh, by a divided mind. Our call to confession and repentance reminds us of that and also tells us of our remedy. 
from 1 John 1, 5 through 10. The Apostle John writes, saying, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not within us. Well, there, friends, we see that the remedy for our sin is confession of sin, is recognition of that sinfulness and recognition of our need to be purified from it. Let's do that now. Let's acknowledge our misdeeds and call them what they are, sin and rebellion against the Lord, and let's repent of them. Let's do that together now in this prayer of confession and repentance. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, change what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, here is God's assurance of pardon for his people from 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2. Where John writes, saying, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Pray with me again, Lord God, we thank you that you are the righteous one. You are the holy one. And Jesus, we thank you that you are our advocate. Your word tells us that you stand ever before the Father, pleading your blood on behalf of your people. We thank you that you are the God who gives righteousness. You are the God who brings redemption. And Lord, we, your people, acknowledge that and, and we cry out for more mercy, more grace. Lord, we cry out for mercy on this, for the sake of our country and indeed the whole world as this pandemic continues to take a great many lives. Lord, show yourself to be sovereign over this virus. Lord, accomplish all of your holy purposes in and through it. Our ways are not your ways, but Lord, we know that, that you have a good purpose in everything that you allow. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show those good purposes. Turn hearts of men and women, boys and girls to yourself. Help, help millions of people recognize that uh, there is no guarantee of tomorrow 
and that they must be prepared to make their maker, to meet their maker. And Lord, you are the father of all. You are the one true God. You are the creator God. And I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself. Lord, remove the blindness from the eyes of any person who does not recognize you to be Lord of life. Lord, um, we come to you this day and we pray for the sake of families. Um, we pray for marriages. Lord, marriage and the family is under attack and, and we have knowledge of a great many people who are suffering marital strife, some who have separated recently, even divorced recently. Lord, we pray that you will continue to turn the hearts of husband towards wife and wife towards husband, parent towards child and, and child towards, towards parent. Lord, unite all of our hearts to one another, we pray. Lord, there are economics throughout our country and throughout our world, economic trouble as a result of the pandemic and the quarantine. Um, Lord, we we pray that you would sustain any and everyone who is facing economic uncertainty. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have blessed many in our congregation through this time. Um, and that I have not heard reports of anyone being in serious economic um, trouble among our number. Um, but Lord, we, we pray that you would um, be the rescuer of any who is in a time of distress of any kind. Um, Lord, we pray that you would provide income and, and employment opportunities for Alay's family, for her mother and brother and sister-in-laws as they work primarily in the hospitality industry, Lord, which has come under, um, under such difficulty. Um, in their nation of Spain, on the Canary Islands, on the islands that hasn't been particularly bad, but that country has been ravaged. Um, Lord, we pray that you would um, rid that land and every land um, of this virus and uh, that you would uh, return folks to full employment, Lord, so they might be able to provide for their families, Lord, May we all cast our anxieties upon you um, and may we find you sufficient to meet every one of our needs. Lord, we give praise over the report of Carol's sister, Gail, and her um, steady improvement in these last days. We thank you that she was able to be successfully treated in the hospital uh, safely and that she was able to be returned home yesterday. We pray that you will continue to strengthen and heal her. Um, Lord, we received word this morning that Dan um, has not been doing well in the last um, half day, day or so, um, and needed additional breathing treatments. We pray, Lord, that you would restore his proper pulmonary function. Um, Lord, we ask for prayers for the elders of this church, Lord, and, and for churches everywhere as we consider how and when to safely um, begin holding public worship services and other activities again. Um, Lord, direct us in every area 
of life, we pray. Lord, we pray that you will be our one great certainty in this time of much uncertainty. And now we unite our hearts together with one another in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, in this age of coronavirus, we've been reminded of the importance of washing our hands. We've been reminded of our need for cleanliness. We've been reminded of our need to keep ourselves from becoming defiled, from becoming corrupted by something unclean. Our sermon passage speaks to that as well. But rather than just to keep our hands clean, our passage today speaks of the importance of keeping our hearts clean. Because in this passage, the Lord promises that there's the greatest of all blessings awaiting those whose hearts are pure. Our primary sermon passage today is Matthew 5, 8, the sixth beatitude. And and I'll invite you to turn there in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 or or turn to the scripture passage that's printed out for you in our worship bulletin so that you can follow along. I'll start reading in verse 3 to help set the context. In this portion, the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're told that when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And today's verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for these, for these beautiful but yet also challenging words which, which tell us of the blessings of, for, for what awaits those whom you have redeemed. These, these verses tell us of the blessings that await us, but they also tell us your gospel-based expectations that you have for us. Lord God, we pray that you would instruct us Instruct us by your word and by your spirit, we pray, so that, so that we might live and walk in a way that is pleasing to you and is a blessing to others and to ourselves as well. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Just think of it. The privilege of seeing God. Can you think of anything more grand, more wonderful than that? You know, to to a large degree, that's the whole story arc of the Bible. 
You might recall that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They enjoyed a a perfect, unencumbered, intimate relationship with him. But then they rebelled against him and they sinned against him. And in so doing, that broke that perfect, intimate, face-to-face relationship that they once enjoyed with God. And then God's word tells us that then as a consequence, they were banished from his presence. But thanks be to God, in our sermon passage today, Jesus tells us how we can find that which has been lost. And he promises that that for a certain group of people, they will see God. Wouldn't you want to be in that number? Is that your desire? Is it your desire, your heart's greatest desire, that you would see the Lord? If so, then let's pay attention to what this passage says to us, because in this passage, Jesus tells us how we might be able to do that. He tells us how we might be able to see God. So how can we do that? How is it that any person can have any hope at all of seeing God? Well, really, we get our first idea of, of what we must do in order to be able to see God in that, fair, in that very first beatitude. We must recognize our poverty of spirit. And then the the second beatitude, we must mourn. We must mourn over our sinfulness. The first thing that's necessary for us to do in order to see God is for us to see ourselves rightly. And as our passage tells us today, we must have a pure heart. Hebrews Hebrews 12, 14 hints at that, telling us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But here's the problem for us. In our natural state, we're not holy. In our natural state, we don't have a clean or pure heart. We're told about that in places of Scripture like like Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say that I have kept my heart pure and that I am clean from sin? But in our passage today, Jesus tells us that it's only those with a pure heart who can hope to see the Lord. Let's consider what this means for us. Let's consider first this matter of purity. What does it mean to be pure? Well, you know, when the Bible speaks about purity, it speaks of it really in two broad ways. First, there's the matter of cleanliness. And when speaking of cleanliness, the the Bible also speaks of that also in, in two ways. One may be unclean because of a matter of filth or corruption. But more often than that, when the Bible speaks of purity, it's speaking of ritual purity, ceremonial purity, 
ritual cleanliness or ritual uncleanliness. But also, Scripture speaks of this matter of purity, and especially of purity of heart, as relating to a sense of not being divided. To be pure, to be pure of heart, means that one has a single-minded devotion to the Lord. Here I think of Psalm 86. Psalm 86 is a prayer of David in which he prays to the Lord, asking of the Lord, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Did you catch that? David prays to the Lord that the Lord would unite his heart. He's he's asking of the Lord that he'd not be a man with divided affection. But instead, David wants to love the Lord with what? He wants to love the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. And of course, that's what Moses called the people of Israel to do in Deuteronomy 6.5. And that's also what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. To be pure of heart means that our heart's affections aren't divided. You know, that was really the the sin of the Pharisees that that Jesus spoke against in, in Mark 7 and Matthew 15 when he quotes Isaiah 29, 13, saying, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. James speaks to this as well. In, in James 1.8, he speaks of the double-minded man, saying that such a person is unstable in all of his ways. And in James 4.8, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus here in our passage today wants us to understand that we need to be pure. We must be pure, both in that sense of having no corruption or blemish, but also that that we have the need to be utterly devoted to him and to the Father with a single-minded devotion. That's what Jesus is talking about, really, when he talks about being pure in heart. It's not just good enough to simply be morally upright. And as we'll see in just a bit, it's it's not even good enough for someone to have a kind of religious purity. Because if you think about it, doesn't that describe the Pharisees? And think of Jesus' rebuke of them in, in Matthew 23. There in verses 25 through 28, Jesus had this incredibly strong rebuke of them, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, 
that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You see, the the problem with the Pharisees is this. They didn't mourn. They refused to mourn. They refused to acknowledge any poverty of spirit. They were prideful. And rather than a hunger and thirst over true righteousness, it seems that they hungered and thirsted more to receive glory to themselves, loving the praise of men rather than loving to give God praise. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus wants us to walk in moral integrity. But far more important than that in the Lord's eyes are that we would walk with a heart purity. You know, that's what the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, saying man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I mentioned those words from Hebrews 12, 14 a little earlier in which we're told that without holiness, no one is able to see the Lord. Because of our sinfulness, no man or woman, boy or girl is sufficiently holy. We're not holy enough in our own natural state to be able to meet the standard that the Lord sets for us of of moral heart purity. And Scripture is clear. We can't make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves well. We can't make our hearts well. We can't make our hearts be pure in our own strength. And why is that? Because we're dead in our sins, Scripture says. We're not just sick in our sins, but the sinner is like a dead man walking, incapable of nursing himself back into a state of spiritual cleanliness. So then what's our hope? Well, we need to get a new heart. We need for God to give us a heart transplant. We need for him to cut out the heart of stone and give us a new heart, a heart that delights to respond to his glory and grace. And that's exactly what God promises that he'll do for the elect in the new covenant in places like Ezekiel eleven nineteen and Ezekiel chapter 36. And when the Lord gives us this new heart, he makes us to be born again, giving us new life. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 3. We acknowledge our spiritual poverty and, and we mourn over our sinfulness. We, we acknowledge our lack of purity. We acknowledge our lack of cleanness. And we ask Him to provide the cleansing for sin that He's promised to provide to any and to all who look to Him to do that. 
And if we humble ourselves and do that, He's promised to give us all of the purity that we need to be able to stand in the presence of the Lord and to see Him. And that's the reward. That's the blessing that's granted to all of those who've had their hearts made clean by the Lord Jesus. I heard a quote earlier this week about the promise to the redeemed of the Lord to see their God and their Savior, this quote from R.C. Sproul. Sproul said, The greatest glory in heaven is not that we will be free of pain, as wonderful as that will be, but instead the ability to enjoy direct face-to-face communion with God and to see that for which our souls were created. That will be the highest joy for our hearts to imagine. What have been the greatest sights that you have ever seen? Is it maybe the the Grand Canyon or the mountains or the beach or maybe the first time you laid your eyes upon your newborn child or grandchild? Well, as wonderful as those sights may have been and regardless of how much joy those sights may have brought you, all of those sights will pale with comparison to that moment when you see the Lord. You know, as I considered this passage this week of seeing God, which will be the privilege of every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I was reminded of that passage from Isaiah 6. That passage that speaks about the holiness of God. You know it, we we read about these angelic creatures that are there around the throne room of God called the seraphim. And as they fly around the throne, they cry out to one another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you remember how Isaiah described them? He said they had six wings. And and it's an odd image, but he says that, that with two wings they covered their feet, with two wings they flew, And do you remember what they did with the other two wings? They covered their eyes. Even the angelic host in heaven aren't granted this privilege of seeing the Lord. But you will. You will be granted that privilege of looking in his eyes, of seeing him face to face. You, if you walk with Jesus for a lifetime, that will be your reward. That will be the blessing that awaits you. You will see him in that day. But do you know this isn't just a future promise? This isn't just a promise of what will be our experience after we leave this life and go to the next or or our experience also, Revelation 21 and 22 tells us that, that we'll be in the presence of the Lord and we will see him in the new heavens and the new earth. 
but we can also see him now. Even now, we can see God. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then, of course, there's those words from John 1.14 where we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then there's the words of Jesus from John 14 saying that, that if we have seen Him, we have seen the Father. When we read Scripture... We see God. And we see the Father most clearly imaged forth for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who Hebrews 1.3 says is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. We can see God in the pages of Scripture, but one day we will see Him in person. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know in full. You know, in this beatitude, Jesus no doubt had Psalm 24 in mind as he was speaking. And I'll encourage you to either turn to that in your Bible or, or look again in your worship bulletin where that passage is printed out for you. Psalm 24. And let's look at verses 3 through 6. The psalmist writes asking, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to do what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. This passage tells us that, the, that only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. Well, the Lord Jesus ascended the hill of the Lord. He ascended Calvary's hill. Only he who has clean hands can stand in the presence of the Lord. But the Lord Jesus allowed his hands to be bloodied. He allowed his hands and his feet and his brow to be bloodied by the nails and by the crown of thorns so that your hands could be made to be clean. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Only the one who does not lift up his soul to what is false. But the Lord Jesus allowed his body to be lifted up upon a cross so that you might be made clean. He gave up his soul so that yours would never be lost. As he took on the sins of the world, as he hung there on the cross, the father turned his eyes from his son 
so that his eyes might be able to be upon you, so that you might be able to see him, and so that you might one day stand in his presence. Psalm 24, 5 tells us that that the one who has clean hands and a pure heart will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God is the one who makes us pure. He gives us this righteousness that we need. When we spoke of the standard for purity that was necessary for when, when Jesus spoke of the standard of purity that was necessary for salvation, the disciples once marveled and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus responded by saying, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We must receive the purity that only the Lord can provide for his people. That's why in in Psalm 51, David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Titus 2.14 tells us that Jesus gave himself up to purify for himself a people. Acts 15.9 tells us that God purifies our hearts by faith. God purifies our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he calls upon us and he enables us to walk in that purity. That's what we understand from 1 John 3.3. When the Apostle John tells us that everyone who has this hope has made himself pure, even as he, even as Jesus is pure. And then I'll leave you with one final verse, Proverbs 22.11, which says that everyone who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Everyone who has had his heart made pure through the redemption that Jesus Christ brings will be welcomed into his presence, welcomed and enabled to see him. And as we'll see next week, those who have been made pure by him won't just have the king as their friend, but will also have our king as our father. But that's next week. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we thank you that you are the God who purifies us. We need that purity, Lord. We acknowledge our lack of purity, our lack of cleanliness. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to ascend up the hill of the Lord to purify for yourself a redeemed people. Lord, make your spirit be great in us so that we, could, we would love righteousness, so that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness and for you. Lord, cause all of us to follow after you. Cause all of us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Do not let us to have a divided, unpure heart. But Lord, unite our heart. Unite our heart, Lord, so that we would walk in your ways forever. And we pray this in your great name. Amen. 
Well, in our passage today, we learned about the joy that will await every one of us as we see the Lord. But I want to encourage you now to remember the joy that is yours now as the Lord looks upon you and sees you with favor. Brothers and sisters in Christ, receive now the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May he do that now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.
It's me.